Hello and welcome Bulls fans to a special episode of Sports Ethos Bulls. We are here today. It is special because we have Mark K from Bulls HQ Pod with us today. Uh, I'm your host, Keith Cork, uh, with my good buddy and host here, Trey Hill also. And Mark, we are excited to have you on, man. How are you doing? I'm good, guys. Uh, happy to be on and happy to talk balls with you guys. Not that there's much positive things to discuss at the moment and so no real games or much anything going on in, in balls world at the moment, but uh, happy to talk to you nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, you know, let's not bury the lead here. The next two games here have been postponed, the Tuesday game against the Pistons and the Thursday game against the Raptors. So we are going to go, I think, about a week, right, without a Bulls game here. Uh, which is really unfortunate. That makes me very depressed. That's one of the things in life that I get excited for and helps me get through the day. Um, but I mean, you know, I think it's I think it's the right call. Um, and I know I know I've heard you talk about this before, Mark. You know, uh, I think the league actually did the right thing here. I think they they probably were you know dragged their feet a little bit. Uh, once you get to three, four, five guys out, you just have just these crazy rotations that just don't make any sense. It's not anything you practice. So seeing the Bulls struggle in the last few games hasn't really been a surprise. Um, but yeah, I think it's the right call. You you agree? I'm I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. If if anything, they're like a, a week too late, in my opinion. Um, you know, just just due to the fact that obviously, you know, COVID is still a thing. We depending on what perspective you want to look at it from. But like, if you're just looking at it from a pure win loss perspective, obviously, like this can influence teams like season and, and where ultimately where they finish up, depending on you know how how bad teams have it, and no teams in the league have had it as bad as what the Bulls have had. Uh, where they've literally at this point missing 10 guys. So obviously that's not feasible to to continue playing in that sense. Um, but, you know, just from a health and safety point of view as well, like you don't know how each player is going to react to this. Like the balls are 100% vaccinated, which is good. But just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean you're protected from it completely. Um, who know, who the hell knows how someone's going to react to these sorts of, sorts of things, particularly, well, I don't know who has an underlying uh, condition or not. And similarly, as like as, as an extension to that, like, Obviously, this, we, we we focus on the players, but there's a lot of people are traveling with the team, either you know because they're part of the team or they're part of the the production of the team. Like I mean, Stacey King and Bill Wennington are in health and safety protocols as well, and I mean those are 60 year old, 50 year old dudes who aren't in the best of shape. So you know Zach Levine <laughs> should probably bounce back with from this, but you know you know God forbid that you know something were to happen to some of the older guys, uh, you know that are connected to the team. So yeah, it's good that they've done this. It's the right thing, but ultimately it's probably come a week too late. So hopefully they just, uh, you know, get this outbreak sorted and then they can, um, you know, can get back to basketball as soon as possible. I guess the next game that the Bulls are scheduled to play is against the Lakers on Saturday or Sunday. So um, we'll see if that even goes ahead, I guess. Yeah, uh, please don't take away my national treasure and Bulls treasure, Stacey King. I, I remember seeing this guy in real life for the first time. Um, I want to say it was like 2009 or 10 or something like that, somewhere in there. And this guy's just, a, he's a blimp now. So like you said, he, he's really out of shape. Uh, you know, I hope this COVID thing doesn't really kick his uh, kick him in the ass, but it might. Uh, I could see it happening. But Trey, I, I, I assume that you fall fall on the same side with us here, um, that they should have canceled the games probably before this even. Oh, uh, absolutely. You both in the when you first introduced Mark and then you right after both said there wasn't a lot of positive for the Bulls. And to me, this is the first positive thing the Bulls have really had since this outbreak started. It was like Kobe got it the first, Green the third, then DeRozan the sixth, Derek Jones Jr. the ninth, Io the eleventh, and then Zach and Troy Brown Jr. the twelfth. It was just back to back to back, blow after blow for this team. Mm -hmm. And when you 
obviously there's different strains of the virus. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert, but you hear on the news that some strains, are they spread faster than others. It, it seems like, if nothing else, whatever the bulls have, it's it's going around everywhere. So I wish they would have shut down a week ago, like you guys said. I mean, even, you know, even the, yeah, the fifth would have been a week ago. It's just six days is nice. Um, Kobe, uh, Green, DeRozan, Derek Jones Jr., they all should be eligible to come back against the Lakers. So if we could get, you know, all of those bodies back, that's at least a working rotation. But I wish they would have done it a week ago, too. Well, it's a positive and it's a negative, right? Because even though the Bulls are having some postponed games here, um, they're postponed. They're not canceled, right? So they have to make those up at some point. Um, we saw what happened in a condensed schedule last season. I think that was a disaster. I think that was a terrible idea by the, by the NBA. Um, guys getting hurt left and right. Guys resting. Uh, it wasn't a good product they put on the floor. And it was, you know, again, just not great for the guys' health. I, I'm shocked that the NBA Players you know, Association uh, agrees to all these things sometimes, uh, especially like a condensed schedule and things like that. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, they all want to make money. It's, you know, money's the bottom line here. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately so yeah. that's just the way it yeah. goes that's how, how the world works i guess so i guess i gotta swallow my pride and, and go with it but hey you know what let's uh let's bury all that stuff let's get some positive stuff here going mark you know first time you have me on the show here um so tell me we did this in the first couple episodes that we started this show which uh, we only took it over about a couple of weeks ago honestly we were doing something before that but uh but i asked you know trey to tell me his bull story so mark what is your bull story when did you become a fan uh how long have you been a fan you know what you know, when did it click? You know, just tell me everything about your fandom here, uh, your history. Yeah, so um, for me, being abroad, being uh, an international fan, and uh, yeah, I suppose watching from from Australia, essentially, if that wasn't obvious for people listening, um, <laughs> essentially, I, I became a fan. I mean, th- th- there's two phases to it, really. I mean, I, I became a diehard fan probably early 2000s, I would say, early to mid 2000s, when uh, we had you know, the internet here, I suppose, and it was a little bit more than dial-up where you could sort of access NBA basketball a lot easier or, you you know, you didn't have to rely on just going down to the news agent and, you know, grabbing a, a newspaper and seeing what the hell was going on in the NBA or whatever it might be. Like, you may get on your, your free-to-air television, you may get one NBA game a week, something like that. Um, so it, it wasn't ideal initially. It was hard to just come by the NBA in comparison today where you've got, you've got league pass sort of thing. So... Um, but I, I guess I was initially drawn to the Bulls just due, just due to the power of Michael Jordan and the, the global reach that he had and obviously those, those Bulls teams had. So, um, you, you know, when you're an impressionable kid growing up in Australia, you're getting into sport, you're getting into basketball. There was a few teams marketed heavily in Australia at that point, um, the Bulls being one of them for obvious reasons. And, uh, yeah, it sort of just stemmed from there. And as I I wouldn't say I was a, die- a diehard through the Jordan years, nor do I really remember much of that because yeah, I just didn't have a lot of access to it. But I probably um, became a diehard when you know the Baby Bulls era sort of started to get going, I suppose. Like the, the drafting of Kirk Heinrich around that 2003 period is when I started to get in um, at, at a more deeper level. And since then, that's pretty much been the, uh, the number one thing for me. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's a, a very high level view of how it's all happened for me but um i think uh, you know a lot of people share similar stories particularly people my age who happen to be international fans like they've, they've got very similar stories so uh yeah i'm not alone in that fact and that's just due to the power of uh michael jordan and the uh, the influence that he has had on the sport globally 
So were you a fan of the, uh, you know, the Garpax area era? Were you a fan of Garpax ever? Were you like a defender of Garpax? Did you want them out? Were you one of those guys <laughs> who were like, fire Garpax, you know, three, yeah, yeah. you know, years ago or whatever, you know, what, what was your story when that was all happening? I, I was both. Um, yeah. I, I Like through the first, let's call it six to seven years of the Garpax era, um, or at least, you know, up until 2012. Um I was a fan. I thought. I thought for most part they 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 did a damn good job. And obviously, you know, we, we know about the the draft record they had through, let's just say, to from two thousand and two thousand and three to two thousand and twelve yeah. when they drafted Jimmy. Like I point that out a lot. They, they did a really good job drafting late in drafts, oftentimes. So you know, they yeah. they weren't all bad. But yeah, go ahead. No, 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 for sure. Like the, through that period, they were they were really good. Um, yeah, prim- primarily through the draft. Like that was their main their main avenue in terms of adding talent and to, to you know, to their, uh, to their respect of those guys, I suppose, like they, they did a damn good job in that sense. Um, that, that 2010 team that they built, a lot of that was built through the draft and even through free agency at times, they didn't necessarily get the big, the big names. And I know a lot of people hold that against them, but they still built good teams during that period of time. I, I, and I guess thereafter is when I started to, you know, become out on them when, you know, it, it, initially it was less about the moves that they were making and more about how they handled the relationship side of things. As we know how things went completely downhill with Tibbs, the Derek Rose stuff with, with his injury, like that was handled quite poorly from the team. And then, you know, after all that inter, interpersonal stuff started happening, they started just losing any competitive advantage that they did have when the league was sort of starting to get smarter, a little bit wiser about how, how to gain competitive advantage in the NBA. And they couldn't just you know, lean on their ability to draft well anymore. And that went away from them. They didn't really do well from a drafting standpoint anymore. Obviously, they weren't really into trading, didn't do a whole lot through free agency at that point. And most of their avenues in terms of acquiring players just generally started to fall off at that point. So, and that's that's when I started to become a, um, a what's that, a Galpax hater, I suppose, when they started to, uh, well, basically, when they decided not to build around Jimmy, that's when I started really losing it, and I, be, I did, I did at that, at that point become a uh, a Garpax hater. So the you know the last five, <laughs> six, seven years of their regime, um, I thought was really bad. The first five, six, seven years of their regime was really good. So it's an odd one. I think I think you can be both, but um, just over the timeline, obviously how they've performed, that it, it allows you to shift between between the two as I've done. Yeah, like I mean, like any ponies. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. They exactly. could draft, they could build that, then you know, they got us that base and we got lucky getting Derrick Rose with the lottery yes. odds that we yes. had and to get a, and to be able to get a superstar at one. And they could draft well, but that was literally all they could do and when it came time to fill out the rest of the team and to go from great to you know, title contender even with Rose being hurt, they just they just came up short. Yeah. I- I felt the same way about Garpax uh, as I do about most coaches. Honestly, I feel like most of them pretty much fall like within a valley, right? It's like there's some that are maybe slightly less than average, some that are slightly more better than average. And I thought Garpax was slightly better than average in in most respects. Obviously, they did some some things poorly, especially developing talent, um, especially toward the end there. Like you said, you know, the last five, six, seven years um, were just rough to watch. So. Uh, I was actually a Garpax defender up until like maybe the three or four you know final years there, and then I I kind of like just shut up about it. I wasn't yeah. necessarily a hater, <laughs> but I was just kind of like, hey, uh, I have, I have nothing to tell you because yeah, it's, yeah, this doesn't look good. And when they signed Dwayne Wade, now yeah. let me talk about that a little bit here because obviously <laughs> it wasn't a good fit. 
anybody that's a basketball fan could have told you that wasn't a good fit. It was a bad few years. Um, I'm, I fully admit that. But I will always maintain that if you have hometown hero Dwayne Wade knock on your door and say, hey, I want to sign with the Chicago Bulls, how the hell do you say no to that? And if that gets out afterwards, you lose your job anyways. So I think I felt like they had their back against the wall once he basically expressed his interest to sign. Yeah, um, you don't even answer the door. <laughs> you don't even answer the door. Okay, that's your answer. Yeah. Go ahead. No, that, no, that's, that. a, that's a fair point. But look, I mean, the whole thing could have worked. The, the Dwayne Wayne and Jimmy thing could have worked if you didn't get Rondo. Um, I maintain that to this day. And even if you didn't get Dwayne Wade, like Rondo and Jimmy could have worked. But when you had the three of them together and you're playing Rolo as well at the same time, and at, and at one point the Bulls were starting Taj instead of uh, Miritich, like there's just zero shooting on the court. Like they they just leaned too hard into that. Like had they just gone with Dwayne Wade, maybe got some sort of spot, spot up shooter at the point guard position uh, rather than getting a player like Rondo, then maybe it would have been a different story and maybe it could have worked a lot better than what uh, what it ultimately did. But they, yeah, like I said, they lent, lent a little bit too hard in the, the non-shooting aspect of the team. And, you know, that's why I always hated that, that three off his error. But, um, you know, there, there is a path for it to make it work. Like we're, we're seeing it now, like with a play with, with DeRozan, you know, pairing him with a, look, Caruso has decent percentages, but I, I don't consider him a shooter, let's say. You can pair guys like DeRozan and non-shooters around those sorts of guys and still make it work, as we're seeing with the Bulls this season. But you just got to offset their you know, their limitations with players who can sort of make up for that. And obviously that, uh, that three-offers team didn't really do that. So, yeah, I, I take your point. But, um, yeah, they, like I said, they just lent too hard into, into that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. And and you actually um, you had the chance to talk to Stefan No uh, recently, which I'm really jealous about. I hope he could, you know, open invitation, Stefan, if you're out there listening, you know, you're, you're always welcome down to our pod. Um, but I know that, you know, he was talking about, um, you know, how t- how basically this team fits together. And uh, and I was watching some of his stuff actually in the preseason about, you know, DeMar DeRozan and his actions off of screen and rolls. And I was looking at that and, you know, it was right after he was signed. And basically I was just saying like, hey, this this can actually work. Like I think Trey and I were really both on this bandwagon of this is going to be a pretty good team even before the preseason started. Uh, we had our own show. It was called Bold Statements, Not Silver Predictions, which is more like a wagering, a basketball wagering show uh, before we took over the Bulls pod here. But um, you know, basically what, I, what I'm saying is that, you know, I think that what we saw in, in Stefan's you know, analysis was that uh, even though DeMar DeRozan doesn't, and he's shooting a three confidently this season, which is really impressive and really nice to see. But even when he's not doing that, not stretching the floor, um, you know, he still creates that space. He can still score off of that action play, um, off of that action within the play. So it was something where I felt like people were just not looking, not seeing it correctly. So, um, you know, I, I feel like there, it's been a big success. And, and, you know, we were both around that. Obviously, we could have been really wrong and it could have blown up in our faces. Um I feel like we are both on that. So, uh, Trey, tell tell me, were you on it or weren't you on it? <laughs> Clearly, I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, we were very confident that this team was going to work from an offensive perspective. I I feel like a lot other than the the biggest Bulls haters even had to concede a little bit that surrounding DeRozan with four shooters was going to be something that could be successful. I. Defense was where we were really trying to hang our hat on. This team was going to be better than people thought defensively. And to your point about the three-point shooting, we might not have a lot of knockdown shooters. It doesn't seem like, you know, with Car- you might not have a lot of confidence in Caruso, and I know how much you love the Lonzo step back. And Vooch continues <laughs> no, to don't. struggle. No, don't take don't take those anymore. Good. <laughs> but uh, I'm looking at cleaning the glass, and the Bulls are fifth in the league in three-point percentage. And 
in terms of accuracy. They're, they're shooting 37.4%. They get great shots. And having having Levine, having DeRozan, and his DeRozan's great playmaking ability is key. But I feel like when the Bulls are really clicking, it's because everyone on the floor can playmake. And they're they're always getting really high-quality looks. And that that's what we harped on the most in the preseason. And I think that's been the thing that in terms of our, you know, if we're trying to give ourselves pats on the back on the offensive end, we thought the playmaking on this team was going to be contagious. And Lonzo has come in and just been fantastic with that. And I think that's been the biggest bright spot for me. Well, people don't understand that defense at the NBA level is a team effort. It is not individual. The individuals can be bad with any team defense, and the team defense can still be good. Um, the reason that the defense wasn't great last season with Vooch and, and Laurie Markkinen is because Vooch is a drop, a drop, a drop coverage guy. He, he's going to drop whenever he's involved in the screen and roll, and and that just isn't going to yeah. That's going to expose Laurie to a lot of bad situations where he has to meet people at the rim, which he just wasn't doing. His rotations are bad. Um, you know, I'm. All, all power to him over there in Cleveland. He's doing a fantastic job. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers team is a lot of fun to watch. You guys should go watch him if you haven't already. Uh, he's really enabled by the fact that Evan Mobley's on the floor there, and that guy is just insane. He gets from one side of the floor to the other in an instant. He's got limbs, the you know, the length of a, a tree trunk. I mean, it's just it's incredible what he does and, and the way that he gets active and gets deflections on the ball. So, um, you know. Obviously, that works a lot better than having him next to Booch, and that just didn't work out you know, very well. Um, do you agree there, Mark? Yeah, look, um, I wasn't a big Larry guy in the end, um, and it was about Larry more about like how he fit into this team construct, and it, it doesn't make sense next next to Booch, as you sort of alluded to. And uh, look, it just just seemed like naturally like his time was done in in Chicago, but like even in, even in Cleveland now, like. To your point, I, I completely agree. Like the Cavs are fun, are a fun team to watch. People, and and when the Bulls lost to them last week, I, th- I think it was or whenever it was, I, I had a lot of people coming at me saying like, "How do you lose to this Cavs team? Like this Cavs team, <laughs> even with guys out in COVID, like how do you lose to this team? Or how, how do you not compete harder?" I'm like, "This Cavs team is really good. Like at that point, I think they were maybe third or fourth in terms of net rating in the um in the Eastern Conference, eighth overall in the in net net rating in the entire league. Obviously, that's gone even higher at this point. But uh, they're really good. But I'm not sure Lowry's got much to do with that at this point. So um, it, it's yeah. funny. Like he's he got his money, he got his starting role, but he didn't necessarily get a a larger role or a bigger focus um in in that regard, which is what he was kind of looking for as well. But I guess, look, the Cavs are winning and maybe he doesn't really care about this point. He's, he's got his starting job. He's got his money and he, he's playing okay. So, you know, all, all power to Larry. But I, I just never liked the idea of two bigs. Um, and now maybe you can get away with that when one of your bigs is Evan Mobley, who just is a freaking stud and can play on the perimeter or defend perimeter players, can, can defend inside. And maybe that allows you to do a whole bunch of a whole bunch of different things that the Bulls couldn't do with Larry at small forward. And same thing with Jared Allen. Like he's just been amazing defensively as well. So um, they're making it work with the multiple big thing. I, I personally am not a huge fan of it. I love that the Bulls have gone small the way they have. And, um, but yeah, look, all, all power to Larry. Like if he's happy, I'm happy. And um, yeah, what it, it is what it is. Everything's going You guys, well I feel like you're both selling Jared Allen short. Oh uh, yeah, you're I right. No, he, you're right. He gets, I didn't on, he gets dunked on all the time, but that's because he, he challenges he everything challenges. at the rim. He is all like between him and Mobley. That's why Mark I, I love his Twitter presence. Also, I got there with all on Twitter. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh. 
But I mean, having having those two guys behind you, that's that's what's made Laurie be able to yeah. be yeah. fine in that sort of defense. Whereas when the Bulls tried him at the three in, in Chicago last year, that very short experiment, it, it was a complete failure. But having two guys like that behind you has just it's opened things up. And there Laurie plays big. He he does a good job of at least, you know, using his size to annoy people. And it's a lot easier to do that when you're guarding threes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Mark. So Mark, here's a question for you. Where were you when Derrick Rose blew out his ACL? (laughs) Where was I? I have no idea where I was, but uh, I was obviously watching. But uh, I, I I don't remember where or what the situation was. Obviously, I remember, I remember it, but uh, yeah, I can't remember where I was. But uh, I remember the feeling. I'll never forget that feeling and that the. You know the, the the not not only the feeling on that day, but like just the you just knew instantly like that season was done, and you know mm-hmm. what it, what it meant for that season. But not only the, like were you thinking about that season, but you then you started thinking, all right, what does this mean for the team going forward? And then you started thinking like, all right, we're deep in the playoffs. If this is what it, what I think it is, then maybe he's going to miss the entire next year, and then that year's gone, and who the hell knows what he's going to be when he comes back? So you just go you. As soon as the injuries happen, like you just go, you go down this rabbit hole of, of deep and dark thoughts, and um, yeah, like I, I don't want to experience that again. Hopefully, we never have to experience anything like that again. But uh, yeah, that was a dark time. Um, but yeah, I don't remember where I was at, and maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> uh, I actually had that that feeling that you're talking about, actually, like deep in your stomach, just like, oh yeah. my gosh, like I had that feeling when Levine came back from his ACL injury, and every time he like jumped, I was like, oh please don't, like don't don't do this, like it's not, you know. Yeah. Um, so it, I, I get that man, and and yeah, I, I already told Trey, I'm not, I'm not too man, enough, you know, man enough, I'm not too manly to admit uh, that I I was crying in my my now wife then girlfriend's lap uh, at the time that Derek Rose tore his ACLs and and yeah I'm I'm a Chicago boy I'm from I'm from the suburbs but lived in the city for five six years um, but you know suburbs is about 30 45 minutes away and uh, yeah hometown guy I mean I know I know Trey's with me on this one you know Illinois guys obviously uh, we got to talk about Io Desumo at some point uh, I, I've heard you talk uh, I heard you talk to Mr C Red Fred uh, about this fella uh, which yeah. is it, always interesting but uh but no i mean you know hometown guys in chicago uh, i mean derrick rose is really he's that kid he's that dude he's that chicago guy because he really was emblematic of everything the city stood for um you know just a nice nice kid it seems like uh, obviously some things have come to light let's not like i hate when people you know white paper over uh you know michael jordan he's done some terrible things in his life uh derrick rose was in some questionable situations i don't really want to get into on this pod but um so i'm sure he's just a human being he makes mistakes just like everybody else but uh the perception was he's a kid from chicago came from you know a not so nice neighborhood um great guy that always you know concentrated on on basketball focused on basketball whenever opportunity came to gloat about something he just didn't refuse to do it which was just like you know hard nose you, you hard hat lunch pail just like stacy king says man that's that's a chicago method that's the way man um, my dad's blue collar you know that's that's just what you do you put your head down you work harder you know i'm, I'm a five foot eight white guy uh playing against six foot three six foot four you know dudes uh you know that are that are gonna block my shot you know you just work harder you work harder than them that's that was always the mentality so uh yeah it was really a, a gut blow when he went down uh but hey but let's 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 not does it feel good to talk times. about your trauma 
Are you, it are does. You I'm getting, getting I'm getting okay. it all out now. I feel like I'm, you know, really I'm really glad for Sports Ethos to give me this opportunity. And speaking of Sports Ethos, guys, listeners, please take a moment to follow at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. That's at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. The single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's faster than the competition and provides more analysis too. Again, that's Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Go follow it now, guys. Um, yeah, I mean it's you know therapeutic for me here. But no, let's uh, let's talk about good times, Mark. So, what's your favorite Bulls memory? Oh man, um, yeah. I mean, there's, ultimately, there's been no championships, right? I haven't. I can't say I've really experienced the the first six because I was young then, and like I said, I just didn't have as as much access to it as. You know, you guys potentially have been in the States being from, you know, if you were living in Illinois or Chicago at that time, like, I, I can't compare that feeling to anyone that experienced that. In, we were in, huddled in real, around in the two, Yeah, we were huddled around the, you know, as a fat TVs, we were huddled yeah. around it as a family. I'm serious, you know, and, my, and my, my family wasn't even into basketball. I know I already told this story, but shush, Trey, let me tell it. We were huddled around Channel 9 because you only got 2, 5, 7, 9, 11, 32, and 50. Those are the only channels. We were watching these these playoff games, and my grandma's, like, into it, and, like, doesn't even watch basketball. It was great, man. But, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Your favorite. Your favorite. I, yeah. I, I don't want Mark to feel alone here, though. I, I grew up in Illinois. I was obviously a Jordan fan in the aspect of it, but my dad wasn't a basketball fan, so I, I didn't get an attachment to the team, like a real attachment following until after. So – I also didn't get to really enjoy those championships either. So d- don't feel left out. No, no, I, I don't. But in, in, in a, some way, I think it's a good thing. Um, and I say this from this perspective because, you, you know, you run across people who have a uh, like a championship or bus mentality. And, and I kind of get it when you've when you've witnessed the Bulls, when you've witnessed Jordan, when you win six titles in eight years. Like, I understand why you would expect that. But because for me, I didn't necessarily live that life and I came into it watching this team or, you know, like the Baby Bulls who I knew right away they weren't going to win a title, but there was still joy in watching that team. So you come to appreciate teams that, um, you know, have some sort of worth, I suppose, despite ultimately, you know, that, you know, deep down they're not going to win a title. So in terms of, you know, that some of the best moments that I've have had watching this team, a lot of them, funny, funny enough, come sort of after the Derrick Rose injury, like when Nate Robinson went psycho in the playoffs, when Joakim Noah did his thing that entire season, um, you know, when, when Nate was off the team, but he was doing the thing with DJ Robin, uh, DJ Wolfstein, rather. Like those, those I, I guess they're more individual moments, but those seasons for me, like really hold a lot of weight for me. And like Jimmy's emergence from role guy into the star that he ultimately came, like there's a lot of value to me in that. Like when he had that 40 point half against the Raptors in 2016 or whatever the year was, like those moments, you know, you knew that team wasn't going to do anything or amount to anything in terms of winning a title or anything like that. But there's still a lot of value to be had. Like, uh, I mean, th- that that dunk that Noah had on Paul Pierce. Like, again, we, we knew yes, that team go. wasn't going to win a title. <laughs> We're or just anything. trying to get there, Mark. That's it. No, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. But like, it's just a, it's just an odd thing where people reference that it's championship or bust. But there's so many good moments that this fan base has had, irrespective of you know not winning a title and not necessarily going deep into the playoffs. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of good moments uh, that we've had, that maybe less so in the last four or five years. But hopefully, this team that we're watching now can um, can rectify that some, and you know, in a few months' time, we can start talking about some really good moments in the playoffs coming up. Can I give a yeah. shout out to when the Bulls ended the Cavs winning streak? Yeah, uh, or not the Cavs, not the Cavs when they the, ended the, the, the Heat, 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 heat winning streak. Yeah, yeah, that was 
I remember that game. It was the last regular season game I've had. The Bulls have had that really felt like a, a, an intense playoff game to me. Was that um, okay? When was that the one where John Lucas like went off and went crazy, or am I thinking of a totally different Heat Bulls matchup? I honestly don't remember much about the game itself. I just remember. I remember, I remember how intense the like matchup was going in. Three pointer, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a number of games like that where, or a number of just random games from role players. I remember one game, I think, against the Houston Rockets, like Mike Dunleavy got his face broken in, basically. Oh, yeah. Blood coming all over his face. Didn't know if he was going to return into the game. They came back in the second half and just started drilling three after three after three. And again, like, that was a little team that wasn't going to amount to much. But, like, the random games from random players who didn't necessarily mean much to us ultimately in the scheme of things, but... You know, you still enjoy those moments, and you know Kobe's had those games recently. Obviously, Zach in it wasn't last; it was the last season of the season before when he went, you know, absolutely psycho against the Hornets and had forty nine points or whatever it was, and won the game on the buzzer. Like th- those things still matter to me. So uh, there's, despite there being uh, not a lot of great moments in terms of deep playoff runs, there's still been a lot of fun things to to root for ultimately over the years. So let's uh, let's switch our focus here to the, to the current team. Um, you know, obviously, I've heard you talk about Vucevic and his struggles. Um, I think it was Stefan uh, down last uh, pod that you had that did mention um, the yips, right? Uh, and that was a great because I heard that and I was like, that's exactly because Trey and I, you, you and I were talking about it, and that's basically what I said. I said he's in his own head, which is you know just different verbiage to say basically the same thing. It's just something mental. It's a mental block. And as somebody that in in sports, at least, I mean, not necessarily in everything in my life, but in sports, I do have a bit of performance anxiety. Right. Um, I was coached by my dad and, and always had this you know, kind of weight on my shoulders that like, you know, I'm not going to do enough or I'm not going to do this correct enough or um, and it puts a lot of pressure on you to, you know, hit a jump shot or uh, guard as a player or, or whatever. Anything you're doing on, on a basketball court, it makes it really difficult. And I think it's fantastic to go into that because, um, you know, with Vooch and these yips, I mean, you can just, I could just see it. And I'm watching this guy because I'm watching this guy closely uh, because I've got prop bets on him, but also, but also <laughs> because I want to see him, but also because I want to see him, uh, you know, do well. Uh, I want to see uh, if he's going to be the guy. He's got one more year in his contract. If he's going to be the guy that's going to, you know, be our playoff contender uh, center between, you know, now and next year. So I'm watching this guy very closely the last three, four games. And it's just, you can see it compounding itself. You can see it getting worse and worse and worse. And it's like every time he takes a jump shot or takes a hook shot, you're holding your breath for this guy and you're hoping for the best. Um, so, you know, just give me your thoughts there. You know, is this something that you're seeing? Am I, am I crazy? Uh, what do you think? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because you, you don't want to speculate on it, particularly when you don't really know, but like, I mean, Vooch after the heat game said he doesn't even know why he's going through this shooting slump. Um, so if he doesn't know, ultimately, I don't know. But just, just watching it, it doesn't seem like it's a skill thing. It doesn't seem like it's, a, you know, this guy, for whatever reason, has just declined. He's, his best days have passed him because he's still getting the exact same shots that he got previously in his career in terms of percentage of his field goals that he's taking. Uh, you know, the mix of field goal, the distribution of, of those type of shots that he's getting is virtually the same as he has been through his all-star years. The only real difference is those percentages that he's shooting this year are completely different to what he's done in the past and to a point where he, like they're, they're just not even where at a level that he was in his rookie year, so to, so to speak. So like he's literally at his career worst performances right now. As to why that is, I, I do think it's a mental thing. I'm speculating about it, but and the only reason I come to that point is because it doesn't look like it's a physical thing because he's still moving around fine. 
Um, I, I don't think it's a sign of decline. I don't think it's a loss of skill because this guy's a high-skilled player who has seen, you know, finish the, and make these shots consistently as, as soon as or as as, um, as late as you know, a few months ago when he was when he when his career started in Chicago. So I just can't imagine a player has just fallen off completely in in that short of time. So to me, it has to be a a mental thing, whether it's the yips, whether it's confidence, whether it's something else, whether it's just just not understanding his role on the team initially, and then it's all just weighing on him now, and it's, it's this whole thing is compounding, and he's just in his own head. I, I don't know, but it, it seemingly seems like a, uh, a a mental or a confidence thing, and um, I guess with that, you just never know when he's going to break free of it. I'm assuming he will at some point. When that happens, I don't know. The sooner, the, the better, I, obviously, but... Um, yeah, it's tough because the the longer this goes on, the longer you um, or yeah, the sorry, the, the longer it goes on, then you know the less time you have in terms of of rectifying it because, you know, yes, the the balls have had have had a couple games paused here, but as we approach the trade deadline and as we have sort of plans of where, what this team can or can't be, like we're we're basing what they can be based on you know the ideal version of Vooch, but if that doesn't for whatever reason um, just come to be, then it really changes a lot of things for this team to the point where you have to start thinking a little bit differently. So uh, it's it's an interesting situation. I'm really hoping he gets it together as soon as possible because you just you just never like seeing players go through these sort of mental bouts. I suppose like if it was a physical thing, if his shoulder was busted up, like Kobe for example coming back from a shoulder a shoulder thing, like it's easily justifiable. Whereas with Vooch, when you're missing playing open shots that you know he can make, you've seen him do it a million times, then. Yeah, it's just it's just rough. So I I kind of feel for him to be honest with you. Trey, what are you seeing out there, man? I think in Orlando he was the anchor of the offense, and he even coming to Chicago last year compared to this year, the, the offense is obviously completely different. His role in the offense is completely different, and I think he's rushing a little bit when it comes to his shot, especially around the rim. He's been great in terms of facilitating, especially whenever he gets the ball off of doubles. He, he makes great passes whenever he has to do that. But in t- passing isn't what we brought him in for. He's averaging, I think, three and a half assists or so, something like that. Um, oh, I was going to try and look it up. Sorry. But he's I know he's averaging around like three and a half assists. But when he's around the rim, he's he's shooting 51% which is 10% lower than what he shot his rookie year, and he's shot better at the rim every year other than his rookie year. I, I, He's getting good looks. He's getting quality shots. It just seems like an extended stretch where he's not gotten comfortable in the offense. And I know that market was, you know, basically saying they might have to look at trading Vooch or see what his value is, at least around the trade deadline. And with these games getting postponed, I, I just I hate I hate to trade him because I feel like the ideal version of Vucevic is exactly what this team needs in terms of a, a center. Yeah, I, the Bulls aren't. And I'm sorry, Mark. If you're you can go ahead and say what you're not. The Bulls aren't going to trade Vucevic, but go ahead, Mark. Do you have something to say? No, I, look, I, I agree with your point. That's you know. Like I said, the ideal version of Vooch or the version we expect to see, the one that we had last season next to Levine and Demire, if that's your third guy and he can pop up like he did against the Knicks or the Hornets a couple of weeks weeks ago where he can use his jumper to sort of offset the driving ability of Levine and, and, and DeRozan, like if that's the guy you're getting every single game or at least, you know, eight out of ten games, then I completely agree in the sense that 
that is the type of center you want to have next to these guys. But for, if for whatever reason you're not getting that guy because of, yeah, like I said, for whatever reason, and, and as you're getting closer to the trade deadline, then you have to sort of make a decision at some point because, like, Fuchs only has one more year on his deal after this season. So uh, I mentioned this on the pod yesterday, but, like, they're going to have to make a decision on Fuchs soon anyway. Um, and that, that could be this offseason. It could be next season at some point, like whether you, you're wanting to extend him, whether you want to trade him whether you're going to let him hit free agency and, and maybe look to sign him again at that point. But ultimately, we're going to have to make a decision. But if he continues playing this way, essentially that decision just needs to be brought forward, you know, 6, 12 months, whatever it may be. So it sucks. I, I, I wish we wouldn't we weren't in this situation. Um, and then maybe we, we won't be in this situation in, in a couple of weeks if Vooch gets it together. But, you know, based on the variables at the moment, um, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, I just I don't I don't see the Bulls trading him. Go ahead, Trey. What did you have to say? Oh, I, I was going to say, um, you brought up the pod. Um, I don't know. Was it from, I think it was from yesterday. And mm-hmm. um, one of the, one of the deals that was brought up was from the Kings to try and get Holmes, who is someone I hadn't considered um, in, a, in a trade for Vucevic until I heard it over that way. To me, I, I guess my question would be, I know you keep saying Keith, we're not going to trade Vooch, which, okay. But let's pretend that they're going to. What kind of center or what kind of big do you think they should look at? Like, who who do you think they should target? Because in my head, I'm thinking Holmes. I'm thinking maybe, you know, Miles Turner from Indiana. Um, I think you guys also brought up Nurkic from Portland. Those are kind of the, the, the names being thrown around. Uh, what do you guys think in terms of if you were to try and move Vucevic, what kind of center would, would we be able to get back for him? So, so when I'm saying that they're not going to trade Vucevic, I mean right now. Right now, his trade value is at the absolute lowest it could possibly be. He's struggling. He's got the yips, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's just not going to happen. They're not going to get, you know, the value that they want. I mean, there. okay, I shouldn't say it's not going to happen, like, definitively like that. There's always a possibility it could happen, um, but it's not very high. Uh, you know, you'd rather have the guy playing well if you're going to trade him. And and I don't think, and I said before, you know, and we're going to get into this a little bit more, but I, I don't think uh, that Vucevic is a long-term solution for this Bulls team if they want to be an eventual championship contender. Uh, I think he does do everything that you need a, a center to do. So it's a good question, Trey, and I'm going to answer it in a minute here, I promise. But I think if they're going to trade Vucevic, they're going to trade him next season when it's an expiring deal, when it's going to be sexy, appealing to some team that you know is had aspirations for the playoffs or the play-in or whatever and aren't performing necessarily as well at the trade deadline. All of a sudden, you've got this $22 million contract that's expiring, and hopefully Vucevic is playing better at that point. That's the point that you pull the trigger you trade for him you trade for another guy uh, and you give up probably a draft asset or a young guy uh to pair with Vooch you know just like hey here take this for your rebuild and let's help you get this kicked off and started um that's that's what I envision in my mind that's going to happen with Vucevic I don't think they're going to trade him right now um but to your point you know if you wanted to replace the guy I, I like of the names that you said I like a guy I think Rashawn Holmes is, is fantastic but I like a guy that can stretch the floor and score from three levels. So you did you did mention Yusuf Nurkic. I do like him, even though he hasn't been playing well necessarily in Portland. Uh, I do think Vucevic is probably better than him um, at doing what he does uh, for the most part. 
Um, so, you know, I don't really like any of those as a replacement. If you're going to say like Sabonis, then yeah, sure. If you can somehow get turned Vucevic into Sabonis, um, go for it, man. I think that guy's a stud. I think he's underrated. Uh, you know, he's a triple double threat, you know, when he steps on the floor, which is kind of crazy coming from the center position. Um, you know, and I am an Arvita Sabonis fan. So, uh, you know, back in the day, it was one of my favorite centers. So, uh, so I'll take some Demonis Sabonis if you, if you're offering that, but, um, you know, I really don't think any of those other guys really lights a candle for me. What about you, Mark? Yeah, look, I, I think I think the likely case is if you trade Vooch and you go after another center, that you're going to probably get a different type of center because there's just not a lot of centers in the league who have the uh, you know the ability that Vooch has from a from an offensive standpoint. Like you, you mentioned there, that um, you know it, it would be good to have a center who can score from all three levels, but there's very few in the NBA that can. So in, in that sense, like the best version of Vooch from an offensive standpoint, like he's a guy that can give you. You know, your, your 20 points, he can give you your, your 12, 13 rebounds. He's going to get his four or five assists. And there's not many players in the NBA that can do that whilst also shooting 36% or more from three. So if you are trading Vooch, if you are getting a new center in place, the likelihood is that you're probably going to get a rim roller type, like someone that's going to be like a Daniel Gafford on offense, as an example, or someone like a Rashawn Holmes. Like Rashawn is really good. And he's playing at a near all-star level for the Kings, but he does a lot of things differently to Vooch. He will change what you do defensively, maybe some, but he'll obviously impact on how you play on offense too. So, yeah, that, that, that's certainly the case. And, you know, I would prefer to have the the best version, version of Vooch than in most centers in the NBA. But, yeah, like I said before, if, if we don't get that for the first 40 or 50 games of the season, then it, it, it just makes you question things. Now, obviously, we haven't gone to the, the, the first 40 or 50 games. There's still a number of games till, till we get there. But um, that, that's the challenge of this whole thing. So I'm, I'm hoping he gets it right eventually. But, uh, yeah, we were just throwing out some random trades that in the event that he doesn't get it right, what do the Bulls do? Do they continue going down this path or do they are they really proactive about it? And I guess the thing is that we've seen AK when things aren't going according to plan. He's prepared to move on from things pretty quickly, as we saw at last deadline or even this offseason. So uh, I would be surprised if they trade Vooch, but at the same time, I wouldn't be if that makes sense. It's like NBA 2K out there. We're all playing uh, you know, GM and... <laughs> trading whoever you can get whoever the trade finder it's a, it's a fantastic exactly. game um here's no, my so, dark you know, horse before we before we move off that nas reed from the timberwolves if towns really doesn't want to play center maybe they could they could pry nas reed from their grips you know, i think I he'd freaking be love nas reed. you're just playing on my card now I, I wish that guy would get out from behind towns because i think he's a stud uh, I, don't, I don't think he's actually like a, an all-star or anything like that but i think he's uh he can hit the three he blocks shots. Um, I, I don't know. I, I like Nazir. I like Nazir a lot. So I like that. I, like I think that. I think he would fit. I think he would fit very well with the Bulls. I think he's the. I I, I am also on the Nazri bandwagon. I I wanted to speak that into existence. Really, is just where I'm at. <laughs> Nazri in a Bulls uniform. Did you tell me you started playing fantasy basketball this season, Trey? Or no? Yeah, this was my first time. How you doing? How you doing on that? Uh, I lost last week, but other than that, I was undefeated up until then. Oh, you must be like a public league. I mean, I think there's there's like eight of us. Um, My buddy set it up. I think I think six of us he knows, and then the other two were randoms. You're in a newbie league. I got you. No, yeah, guys, if you're if you're listening out there though, just like uh, Trey's new, we have a brand new daily fantasy partner at Sports Ethos. 
Thrive Fantasy. Prop up with Thrive Fantasy on their mobile app or at thrivefantasy.com. Use code ETHOS when you sign up to get a 100% deposit match bonus on your first deposit up to 100 bucks, plus either two or four free game tickets to play. Pick player props on the biggest names playing every night. Score points when your pops hit, and the players with the most points win a share of the nightly prize money. And check out our Sports Ethos DFS team or podcast for advice on winners. Again, that code is ethos over at thrivefantasy.com. I do give some uh, advice for DFS from here and there. Uh, I've taken a step back from DFS, though, because uh, I'm doing this and, and uh, doing the wager pass stuff, too. So, um, But, I, hey, I'm always in there. I'm always talking to people, chatting it up, probably giving you the wrong picks. So, uh, so yeah, come join me, guys. Um, but, no, you know, let's uh, – you know, Mark, you and I have only had one interaction on Twitter so far. Uh, hopefully we'll have more. Uh, it was about – uh, so basically you pose this question and I don't disagree with you, by the way, you pose this question to you, to your followers. It was, you know, are you really that crazy that you won't give up a young guy now for a top 75, 80, 90 player that will, you know, basically take us over the top, replace Patrick Williams, I assume is what you're you know asking for. Uh, and, and basically, you know, make us a real legit playoff team. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing and probably adding words that you didn't, you didn't ask, but that was how I read it. Uh, it's pretty and, close, pretty close. Okay, and, and I agree with you there. I think if that opportunity does, you always have to keep your ear open. You know, as a GM, I think that's that's part of your job. I think AK definitely does that. You know, judging by all the moves that we've executed so far. Um, so I do. I agree with that sentiment. But uh, I think where we did disagree was, you know, you were saying something along the lines of, uh, you know, giving up IO, giving up Patrick Williams, and then that's where I kind of said, whoa. Oh, hold on, Patrick Williams. This is my guy, uh, and I'm not like a Patrick Williams stan. But um, but here's what here's why I said here's yeah here's here's why I went that route though. I don't think he's great yet. I don't think he's even good yet, to be honest with you. Uh, obviously, on offense, he was very hesitant this season when he was out there. I think that he was just adjusting to having all these new offensive weapons around him. Um, but you know, I love what I saw in the summer league before. Um, before the season started, he was, you know, getting all these shots up. He's not a volume shooter. He didn't shoot the ball particularly well, but I love the confidence that he was taking these shots with. And I was hoping that would translate into the season. Then, of course, he had injuries, so he had to deal with that. Um, so it was just a rough season for him. Again, uh, if this ends up being a guy that's injury prone, obviously, if you want to get rid of him now, that's the, the absolute thing you need to do. Um, it is a risk, obviously, to hold on to him just as much as it is to get rid of him for somebody. So uh, I see your point there, but I just think, because um, you're talking about and you were talking again with C-Red Fred, and C-Red Fred's saying, like, Yo, don't trade Io. Don't trade Io to Zumba. No, like, there's a – okay, listen. Listen to C-Red Fred. There is about – uh, a thousand Io who's in in the basketball world, uh, guards, and, and and that's probably not fair. But guards that can you know score with confidence, that can you know play defense, um, and, and maybe not that maybe there's not a thousand, maybe there's a hundred or something like that. But uh, when you're talking about Patrick Williams, though, this is a guy that has a unique skill set in my opinion. Um, he's in that mold of a Pascal Siakam. Obviously, he doesn't have that size quite yet. He doesn't have that muscle quite yet. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm thinking ceiling, obviously, right? I'm thinking what if this guy pans out and plays the best we can possibly play. A guy that can guard one through five. This is really, I feel like when we went to go, you know, build our team and we went smaller, didn't play the traditional power forward. We put Patrick Williams at the power forward because of his skill set. We basically built it because we think he's going to be that guy. Um, he can guard one through five. He can hit the open three. He, you know, he's an efficient uh, offensive weapon. Last year he was pretty efficient. And, and they, even in stretches, he, you know, had really good, good games. Um and unfortunately, I didn't have time to look up that stretch. I would have given you numbers. But anyways, just pretend that they're there. <laughs> but uh, no, but I, I'm a big Patrick Williams fan for that reason, because he is a unique player. So give me give me your thoughts here. Do you disagree? Uh, you know, are you not? As, why are you not as high? Yeah, so 
I, I guess my position on this thing, and I, I would probably have a different view on it if I didn't think the balls had a decent chance to do something this season. Um, and, and maybe if the league wasn't as wide open as it is seemingly, in my opinion, at the moment, maybe I would have a different view. Um, but it, it comes down to two things, like just how you see this current Bulls team as currently constructed versus the rest of the league. And you know, I so said that there's an evaluation criteria to that. But then there's that evaluation of Patrick Williams as a prospect, as a player as well. And they're the two main avenues here that's ultimately dictate this position. But for me, like I think the Bulls are pretty close. They're not close to winning a title right now, but if you can add another good piece to this team and essentially all you ship out is guys that you're not necessarily getting getting a ton from this season, which obviously you're not getting anything from Patrick Williams thus far, and if you were to attach Kobe along with that, then you're really moving out two guys that you're not getting a lot from now and potentially adding a player back who could really influence, you know, how far the ball's going, you know, into, into, the, into the playoffs. So... It, a lot of it stems based on where I see the Bulls at the moment, but I'm just not a big Patrick Williams guy more generally. Like the theorized version of Patrick Williams, I understand is very tantalizing, but I just didn't see a lot of flashes during his, you know, initial 80, 85 games of his NBA career to suggest that this is a guy that we should, you know, keep investing in and potentially, you know, he, he alone will justify the opportunity cost of not trading him. So to me, I, I like Patrick. I'm not in love with Patrick Williams. If he came into the NBA and shown had shown me more in his first 88 or 80 to 85 games in a way that's, you know, I won't say Evan Mobley because Mobley looks like a stud, but like even someone like Scotty Barnes, for example, who, again, looks very damn good. But, like, Scotty Barnes has flashed more in his first 10, 15, 20 games of his NBA career than Patrick Williams did over his entire rookie season. Now, if you're getting that type of performance from Patrick Williams – so soon in his career, then I wouldn't have the opinion that I have now. But because you've, at least in my opinion, rarely saw those elite flashes, to me, he's probably likely to grade out as a high-level role guy. That's that's my personal evaluation of Patrick Williams. I could be wrong about that. Hopefully, I am wrong about that in the event that they are do keep him around. But if he ultimately grades out to be a high-level role guy, then why not trade him now and go get a similar player now who can do who can give you that level of play right now. So the, the way I'm thinking about it, like like last season, the, the Nuggets at the deadline, uh, they went and got uh, went out and got Aaron Gordon and added him to his squad uh, to their squad. Now the Nuggets were already a contender, but once they added Aaron Gordon, they looked like a team that could seriously win the title. Now obviously injuries happened and that didn't eventuate, but I mean if the Bulls were to add their own equivalent of Aaron Gordon at the deadline this season, who's to say they couldn't win the Eastern Conference based on the fact that there doesn't look like a real dominant force in the East, particularly now that Kyrie's still out and researching and those sorts of things. Like, there's not a lot of, you know, the Eastern Conference is better, but to me there's not like a, a dominant team out East. And similarly out, similarly out West, like the Nuggets, uh, sorry, the, the Warriors got off to a, a really fast start, but they've kind of started to slow down a bit. The Suns are doing what the Suns are doing. But beyond that, like, who else in the Western Conference really scares you? Like the Jazz are out there, but the Bulls are already beaten the Jazz this season. So I think they have a legitimate chance to, I won't say to win the title, but to, to put themselves in the race with the Warriors, the Suns, the Bucks, and the Nets. So if you can just add that one more guy and all you have to do is trade out guys who you're not getting much value from now in Patrick Williams and Kobe White as an example, then I'm all about it. That's basically my position at this point.
Okay, so now I understand, um, and, and I'm going to let you talk also trade a minute here. But let me just say, um, I think maybe, maybe we did defer obviously in our on our thoughts about Patrick Williams and, and you know how good he pot could potentially be. But the other thing that I think we defer on is the. Um, I don't I don't see if the Bulls add a guy like a Jeremy Grant, if they add a top 75, top 50 guy, I don't see them legitimately beating the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't see them legitimately beating the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, well, maybe if, if, if Kyrie continues to be out, then yes, if Kyrie comes back, then no. Um, I don't see them legitimately beating the Phoenix Suns. I don't see them. I can see them beating the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz don't scare me at all. But you, the Phoenix Suns, though, I just don't. I don't see them beating those teams. So that. So then, my question is, if we're going to do that, and you know, Patrick Williams ends up being the guy that I think he could possibly be, in you know, a year and a half, two years, uh, you know, basically we we've lost that for you know, okay, we went maybe a round further in the playoffs or something like that. So that's where we defer. And I'm not saying I'm right or you're right. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't matter. That's just where we defer in our opinions. And uh, obviously, we have no crystal ball, so we can't tell who's right, but. You know, that's what it is. So go ahead, uh, Trey. I'm sorry to cut you off. I I was in I was on Keith's side when Patrick Williams first got hurt, and the more I watch this team and I see how valuable DeRozan is, and to me that kind of put makes the timeline slightly different if you're looking mm -hmm. at this team and trying to make them contenders. Because before the season started, I would have said you know you got to look at Zach's age. But with DeMar being, being as good as he's been, being an MVP candidate when he's out there, he's 32. Um, if you could trade Patrick Williams for Jeremy Grant, Grant's still only 27, so it's not like we're not going to be able to get, you know, seven good years out of him. So I think if you could, if you could get Grant out of, out of Detroit, I might be willing to pull the trigger. But to me, it's it's got to be it's got to be someone of that caliber. Like I don't even know that I'd throw him in a deal for Sabonis. I I think I think he has a chance to be a really 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 good role player on offense and an impactful player on defense at the at the four position, which isn't something that's necessarily super easy to find. And he just he also seems to be happy and willing to have a low usage rate and to, and to fit in. So I think that's also something that might be a little undervalued, but to me, I'm, I'm square in the middle. So you, you, you know, you guys are both on two ends of the spectrum and I'm in the middle of, I really like Patrick Williams. And I think Grant is the only guy I would trade. I would trade him for. So Keith, would you trade Patrick Williams for Jeremy Grant? Uh, I would not. I would not, and, and let me just tell you that'll that'll segue us right here perfectly into you know what I want to talk about next, which is basically what I think you know. And we talked about this a little bit in our last pod, Trey. So I, you know, sorry, listeners, if you're if you're listening to that one, uh, skip forward or something and hear what Mark has to say. But um, no, I, I don't think personally that the goal is to win a championship the year, this year. I don't think that's a realistic goal. Um, you know, I I know Mark said they're not they're not going to be favorites. It's just you might have a chance, and I get that. Um, it just doesn't feel right to me. It feels like when you go make a trade like that, uh, it's you're striking when the iron's hot. And I get you guys are both saying basically you think the iron's hot. Um, it was a stretch of you know 15, 20 games. I don't know if I can buy that just yet. If it was maybe, you know, it, and of course this is a screwy season. Screw COVID, screw the NBA for not doing everything they could to, to stop this outbreak. But uh, all that aside, this isn't something where we're like, you know, 40 games into the season and we're at like, you know, 28 and 12 or something like that. Um, you know, obviously we started hot. 
we we regressed a little bit, which we Trey and I, you both said that we were going to. Um, Demar Derozan it started incredibly hot. Is he going to keep his foot on the gas doing that all season? I just don't see that happening. I think he's a fantastic player. I love him. I love the death out the crap out of him. Uh, he does exactly what the Bulls need in crunch time. It's fantastic. The Bulls are leading the league in fourth quarter scoring. All that is positive stuff, and I love it. It's fantastic, but I just don't honestly in my heart feel that we are title contenders this year. Uh, I think, and this is, again, what I want to talk about next, two- or three-year plan, basically, for for. AK, I'm not going to pronounce his name because I'm terrible at it. AK, I'll call him. Uh, two to three year plan. You know, I, again, I see Vooch, his expiring contract next year. I think that's when they strike. I think that's when they trade for somebody at the deadline that's going to really make a difference here. And I think Patrick Williams developing into that guy, that glue guy, that three and D guy that's going to be the wing that's going to defend your Kevin Durant's and your LeBron James's and your, uh, it's not going to be those guys. It's going to be a whole new group of guys, but defend those type of players. That's your guy right there, Patrick Williams. Why give him up? So that's my thinking. That's my thinking of what they're going to do in the future here. Mark, give me your thoughts on that, man. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting one. I mean, this can go uh, a million and one ways. Like, I, I didn't expect to be talking about a team that had, you know, all of Lonzo, Caruso and, and DeMar DeRozan on the team so who the hell knows where this ultimately will go but uh yeah i think the first decision that they had to make and we, we already spoken about it but like you need to decide what you want to do with vooch at some point like you have to start planning about that now um not necessarily to move him now or do anything crazy with him now but you know you have to make a decision you know ultimately what you're going to do with him and you know whether it's trading him now or trading him next season you, you need to make that call but yeah, it's going to be. It's to me. It's going. To, it sounds like it's going to be a phased approach based on how Demar has played this season. You would assume that he's going to fulfill his, you know, three-year deal that he has in Chicago. Uh, whether Vooch is part of that or not remains to be seen. But um, clearly, like the Bulls are not going to have cap space to be a cap space team in the traditional sense. They didn't have cap space, so they didn't use cap space this season to get DeRozan and, and Ball and Caruso. So you don't necessarily need cap space. So you know. AK has shown that you can get it done via trade. So that is going to be the, the method which they continue to improve their team in, in years coming up. But, but what that looks like, it's hard to say because a, a lot of it will be determined by the uh, the state of their assets at that point. Because if all you have to, to really do is, is to trade, um, obviously you have to trade something to get something back. And if Patrick Williams looks a lot better than what, um, what I think he can be, then obviously that changes what you can get back for him in a trade or vice versa. Like if Vooch gets back to form, what you can get back for him in a trade looks very different to what you could maybe trade him for today based on how he's playing. So, um, yeah, it, it, I, I don't have a great answer to your question. I, I think the, 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 the likelihood is that they probably continue with the, the team that they have in place at the moment, like the, the core five or six guys that they have at the moment. They'll have a few exceptions to use next next offseason where they can add maybe a role, a role guy or two to, to the roster and maybe bolster the depth of this team. Um, but ultimately, if they continue down that path, then then that's where I agree with you, like that so much of the... Uh, you know, the ceiling raising of this team will come down to, to Patrick Williams hitting a level that's, you know, I don't think he, he has in him necessarily, but I would be happy to be proven wrong about that. And, and if he can do that faster than, you know, maybe what I anticipate or I, maybe I don't even anticipate it at all. But if he can get there by next season, for example, like that, again, changes the ceiling, changes the perspective of things. And you mentioned it before, Trey, like how DeMar being this good this season has maybe changed the variables for you in terms of moving Patrick Williams. But like, Again, if the variables change in a different way where Patrick Williams comes into next season 
yeah, and you know he gives you fifteen and seven or something like that. It can be a rangy sort of shooter from deep. Then again, that maybe changes the team perspective as well. So that so much of this is so in flux that it's hard to, to hard to comment. But the way they're going to improve this team is the way they improved the, this team like the last off season. You know, via trades and um, getting creative from that sense. So, so let me let me put you on the spot real quick, like I put Keith Patrick Williams. Would you put him in an offer for Sabonis? Uh, no, I wouldn't, um, because I don't like the idea of pairing Sabonis with Vooch. Would I trade Vooch for Sabonis? Yes. But would I trade Pat Williams for Sabonis to ultimately play Sabonis and Vooch together? That's not something I'm interested in. <laughs> Go ahead. So uh, other than other than Jeremy Grant, then, who who do you think Patrick Williams should be on the table for? I would be trying to trade Patrick Williams for a realized version of something that he can be. So if we think about what we hope Patrick Williams can be, like a a, a guy that can guard threes and threes and fours, a guy who can sort of fit with multiple offensive players, can um you know jack up six or seven threes a game and hit them at a at a decent rate, then they're the types of players that I'm looking at. Like a name that I've just been thinking about all season is Harrison Barnes. Jeremy Grant is a good example. Less of a shooter, but probably better of a defensive player than Harrison Barnes. Um, maybe Siakam. I mean, he's been up and down, but like the ideal version of Siakam maybe makes sense. Um, like they're the type of players that I'm thinking about that you could maybe, maybe hopefully add for someone like Patrick I, Williams. I would do it for Siakam. I would trade Patrick. I, I'm a huge, I think, and like you said, Siakam's been up and down, but I do think that, you know, if Patrick Williams was to develop into what we think he could be, um, he'd be Siakam with, with a three, with a better, a better three point shot. So, you know, that's, that's obviously big ceiling. Uh, I think he's a better, he's, he has a chance to be a better Robert Covington. So I'm thinking that kind of player. So his contributions aren't going to show up in the box score. So that's when we saw, and that's why I was telling people when Patrick Williams got injured, you know, you're thinking, oh, well, maybe, uh, you know, uh, somebody that can score or whatever, uh, you know, will jump off the bench and all of a sudden now we've got more scoring on the floor. That's not what's going to happen. You got Javante Green in there to be your glue guy, to be your guy that can run around the floor and and switch on, on defense. I mean, this is, it, this is, the scheme. This is what we need. We need the guy that can switch on defense, guard one through four. And don't forget, Patrick Williams is 19 years old, guarding Zion Williamson, who has about 150 pounds on this guy. And he did it adequately at 19 years old. This guy got up and I mean, he hurt himself trying to dunk on Mitchell Robinson. I mean, this guy, I, I'm not trying to get sell him too high. I know it sounds like I am. I know it sounds like I'm saying, oh, this guy's this next Scotty Pippen. I don't actually believe that. But I think that he's the, the type of player you need to make everything else work. So if you don't have him, if you don't have that type of player, then it, it all goes to crap. That's basically why I value Patrick Williams. Uh, go ahead, Trey. Did you have something else to say about that? Oh, no, I was just going to say uh, I appreciate the idea of Mark kind of setting the uh, – I feel like Harrison Barnes is probably your the bottom as low as you'll go on the Patrick Williams scale. Whereas obviously we'd like to get someone a little better than that. So that was that was a nice little uh, guy to throw in there. I I don't think I would trade Patrick Williams for Harrison Barnes, but obviously I would I would throw him in for the other two as I've already said. Yeah, and look at another name that comes to mind and who I should have said first because he's my preferred target is like Siakam's teammate like OG and an Obi. I'm assuming yeah. the Raptors aren't going to trade him. But look, He's who, nice. who the hell knows? Uh, ask the question, I guess, is my point. Um, yep. But like, I, I think Patrick could have a similar career to what OG has sort of shown thus far, which is, you know, not really a lead guy, but like just a super role player. And if you could add a player 
to Demar and Levine and, and Vooch who can do those things from this four spot that, you know, an OG can do. Like, if Patrick can be OG, like, that's a really good pick at number four. But if you can get OG on Anobi now, who's a sure thing, rather than waiting maybe two or three years for Patrick Williams to get there, that's, like, where my mind is at, I guess. So they're the type of players that I'm thinking about moving for, you know, who I would move Patrick for. It's not just moving him for just for the sake of doing it and just getting in, like, a, a Robert Covington or something like that. Um, you want to get in a, a an actual game changer, funny enough. Funny enough, like I, I used Aaron Gordon as an example. Like I would love to get Aaron Gordon in right now. Obviously, the Nuggets aren't going to be trading him, but a similar level player where you know a top sixty, top seventy player who probably would be your fourth or fifth best starter, which doesn't sound like a lot, but can just dramatically change things. Like if instead of starting Javante Green and you've got a, an Aaron Gordon level player starting at that position, like it really does just just changes the whole dynamic of your rotation. So um, I would do that for Pat Williams, getting in that sort of level of player. I don't disagree there. So I think we can leave it there, and it's fantastic. And, Mark, I thank you so much for coming on, man. Uh, guys, if you're out there, you listen to our pod, go check out the Bulls HQ pod if you haven't already. It's fantastic. Listen to a few episodes myself. Um, it's awesome, man. Keep doing your thing. Um, you can find me. I'm Keith Gork. You can find me on Twitter at Keith. That's at Keith. Trey, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Oh, I'm on Twitter at Final Finally. And Mark, I know they can find you at Bulls HQ Pod, but where else can they find you? Yeah, look, uh, I'm mostly on Twitter these days. I'm just uh, yammering on about the Bulls pretty much 24-7. So you can catch me on Twitter at MK Hoops. Obviously, you mentioned the podcast there, Bulls HQ. Uh, we generally drop pod, uh, you know, new episodes every every Monday. So um, if you're interested in tuning into another Bulls podcast, um, yeah, hit, hit up Bulls HQ. Yeah, guys, go check it out. And guys, before we go, I need to pull up my uh, ad read here. But hey, quickly, before we sign up, we want to also remind you all to use coupon code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com for 20% off your order and free shipping. And also check out your our pals at mybookie.ag. Use code HOOPBALL on the third page of sign up to unlock deposit match bonuses there as well. And Mark, fantastic man, great show. Go Bulls. Hopefully we recover from all this COVID crap and go kick ass. Vacation starts with VA. Whether you're feeling beachy, mountainy, or every E in between, you'll find all that you love all in one trip to Virginia. Start yours at virginia.org.